0: If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality.
1: Well, uh, g'day everyone. My name is Scott. I'm really glad I'm here with you today. I want to start by asking you a question. If I were to say that today we're going to talk about God and serving, what's your initial gut reaction? Where does your mind go straight away? My suspicion is, for most of us, we start thinking about ways that we could serve God. What does God want from us? What are the kind of things that we have to do for him, to please him, uh, so that he'll be happy with us? Maybe even so that uh, we could twist his arm enough and he'll do what we want him to do. But for a lot of us, an idea of serving God might not be a fun thought. Because perhaps already I feel overloaded and and burdened with so much. Or, or perhaps I, I feel guilty that I haven't done enough. Or maybe I I just plain don't want God in my life right now. And so the idea of serving Him is is the furthest thing from where I'm at. We are talking about God and serving today. But before you switch off or start to feel guilty, I want you to hear this. The God of the Bible has something surprising to say. He kind of turns our expectations upside down. And here it is. Here's the first point for today. Before anything we do for God, God first serves us. It's not that we serve God, but that he first serves us. Here's how one part of the Bible puts it. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath. And everything else. It's a profound reversal of the way we'd normally think about things, isn't it? See, we're not those who have to serve God, but in fact, we're those who are served by God. He's the one who gives us life and breath and everything. Look at the way another part of the Bible puts it. Uh, it says, "Dear, uh, "'Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. "'Every good and perfect gift is from above.'" coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Just think about your own life for a moment. What are the things that you enjoy? What what, what do you treasure? Is it your family? The, the local cafe that you love to frequent? The, the friend who's been your constant support through ups and through downs? Is it it just the relaxed lifestyle that we get here in Adelaide? What do you treasure in life? No matter what it is, the good gift you enjoy is given to you by God. We're not those who have to serve God. We're, We're those who have been served by God. Take a look at this. I've got a video to show you. Have a look at the
2: video. So did you say you were going to make dinner? I couldn't remember.
0: <sighs> what? I just wish you'd take some initiative and cook your own dinner for once. I've been at work too, you know, and what now I get to come home and pack the dishwasher and then unpack the dishwasher and cook dinner and put the washing on, and you know what, I can't continue to live like this because hey, it's hey, not me. Hey, 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 relax.
2: It's going to be all right. How? Here, I'll just show you. OK, I've been doing this since we moved in. See this basket thing, I don't know how it happens, if it's the house or what, but any dirty clothes you put in this basket, somehow the next day, they're just clean, folded and in a perfect pile on your bed. You're not serious. I couldn't believe it at first either, but it just keeps happening. That's why I didn't tell you, I didn't want to jinx it.
0: You are insane.
2: Try it, you'll see. Unless it's only chosen me. See, I don't
0: know. I can't do this.
2: No, wait. There's other things too. Plates, cutlery, pizza boxes, dirty tissues, anything you leave on this coffee table just vanishes overnight. No, she wouldn't have left me. This is what I think happened. I heard her get up in the middle of the night to get a drink or something. She must have fallen onto the magic coffee table and just vanished. Are you insane? No, he's not insane. I've got the same coffee table at home.
1: You watch it and you laugh until you know somebody like that. Uh, You know, it can kind of be easy to do that thing with God, though. We enjoy his good gifts, but we never actually appreciate the one who gives us those gifts. They're just there because, well... They've always been there. And we can end up thinking, oh God, what's he ever done for me? And just like the fella in the video, we miss what God's been doing for us all along. Because of course, God has done so much for you, hasn't he? And God wants you to know that today. It's not just blind luck or good circumstances that mean you've got what you've got. It's God's good gift to you. It's it's God's way of caring for you, of of serving you. But you know, God's actually doing, uh, willing to do something, something more for you, something uh, bigger, deeper, more profound, even than that. Something that changes the entire shape of your life. I'm about to read to us from a part of the Bible. Uh, called Mark. Mark is one of the four biographies we have about Jesus' life. No prizes for guessing the name of the guy who wrote the book. Uh, In it, we read of a time... We're going to read of a time when Jesus is on a road trip there. He's uh, with his 12 kind of closest friends, his followers. They're heading to Jerusalem, the capital city. And of course, back in Jesus' day, there's no cars. They're not driving there. There, there's, There's a bunch of guys there walking there. And if you've ever been... Uh, on a hike with a a bunch of people, you know that you don't all kind of walk in a big group together. You end up kind of scattered along the road in smaller clumps, close enough that you can still see each other, but far enough away that you can kind of have a conversation with the people around you that those in front of you and those behind you, are not they're not going to hear. And that's what we kind of get a glimpse into, just one of those little groups having a conversation. Uh, It's it's on the screen there for you. I'll, I'll read it out. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. That is Jesus. They came to Jesus. And teacher, they asked, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Whenever anyone says that, don't agree to it. It's a a trap. Anyway, it goes on. Jesus, uh, do for us whatever you ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. James and John are are two of Jesus' followers. They're, they're, They're his friends and they're his followers. And they think that Jesus is someone special, right? That he's going to go to the capital city, to Jerusalem, and that when he gets there, he's going to become the king. And when he does that, they want to be right there in the thick of it with him. They don't want to miss out. They want their own place in glory. They want to be seen as kind of superior to other people, and especially over the other friends that are walking with them on that day. They want the power, they want the prestige. It's the classic tale of kind of greed and self promotion happening here. As the story goes on, unfortunately for James and John, they don't get what they want. In fact, Jesus tells them they don't even know what they're asking for. And he says it's not his place to grant that to them. But we'll pick up the story a little bit further on, and there's been a development. Check it out. When the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John's. Jesus' other friends hear what James and John have asked, and they get a bit cranky. You can imagine them saying things like, Well, how dare you? What gives you the right? What makes you think you're better than the rest of us? It's probably not that they have pure motives at this point. It's more likely that they're just annoyed they didn't ask Jesus first. And before the fists start flying and these two brothers get beaten up by the rest of them, Jesus steps in and he turns things completely upside down. Take a look at what Jesus says next. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their higher officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You see, Jesus is saying that with him, things are different. Greatness isn't about wielding power. Greatness is about becoming a slave, becoming a a servant. It's back to front. And it's kind of confronting for us because Instantly, our minds start thinking, well, what does that mean I've got to do? But actually, first and foremost, this is actually about Jesus. Look at what Jesus goes on to say. He says, For even the Son of Man, that's just Jesus' way of talking about himself, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Greatness is found in serving. And there's no greater servant than Jesus. So what's the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth? So that he could be a servant. Not so that he'll get us to serve him and do what he wants, but so that he could serve us. And he does this at a great cost to himself. He serves us. By giving His life as a ransom for us, we all know what a ransom is, don't we? I mean, you see it in the books, uh, movies, TV shows. Are, are all there's all these kind of things written about ransom because ransoms are, are dramatic. There's lives at stake. There's money. Um, and this is just what Jesus does for us. He pays the ransom price. The Bible tells us we're, we're captives to sin, which means we'll die. But Jesus changes this. He pays our ransom price. He frees us. And he gives us true life. But in the process of doing that, it costs Jesus his life. Is anyone here a chess player? No? No? I didn't think so. It's a dying breed. Uh, Who would... No, no, I'm just... um, I'm not very good at chess, which is why I... I'm happy to see it die out, but no. Um, In fact, I gave up playing chess about eight years ago. I I, I played my last game of chess, which I won. That was a very, very rare thing to happen. So I decided, okay, at that point, it's a good point to give up, and I've never played since. I don't know a whole lot about chess, but I've heard this one particular move that you can do in chess. It's called the king's gambit. Have you heard of this? It's where you sacrifice one piece in the hope that it will help you win the game later on. Of course, though, it's never the king that's sacrificed, is it? Because kings don't do that, not in chess, not in real life. What you sacrifice is just one of the lowly pawns you can throw away. But, But this is the stunning truth of Christianity. It is the king who gets sacrificed. It's Jesus who gives up his life. And he does it for us. He does it for you. What other God is like this? Certainly the ancient gods weren't like this. In, in the ancient world, uh, you had a number of gods, and you had to sacrifice to them. So if you wanted rain, you had to sacrifice something to the God of the rain, and then if you did it well enough, he might send rain on you. But you see what it is? You have to do something to get your God to do something for you. It's the same with the religious gods of the world. Uh, Let me take Islam as as an example. And I don't say this to to mock Islam at all, but but as I understand it, Islam is all about submission. You submit your life to Allah. And if you do well enough, if you follow the five pillars of the faith, you may enter, uh, Allah may may grant you entry into eternal paradise. Again, I'm not saying this to be rude. This is uh, what Islam teaches but it's the same thing as the ancient gods. Is it? You do, and the God will reward you for that. You know, all our modern gods are just the same. We chase after gods of things like success and power, or, or, or comfort and, and, and ease. But whatever God we have, whatever thing we're living for, it requires us to spend uh, our lives, to work hard, so that we can climb the corporate ladder and have the power that we want so that we can save up the money to have the life that we want. We work hard, we spend ourselves, we sacrifice certain things, and only then will these gods that we serve give us what we want. But compare that to Jesus. Jesus, who doesn't kind of look on from a distance, who doesn't demand that we meet a certain criteria in order for him to act, Before we do anything, before we lift a finger, Jesus steps down into our world. He he comes as a servant to serve us, to give his life as our ransom. Which is really what the baptisms we've seen this morning are all about. Uh, Peter's really cute and Daisy's a bundle of joy and she has a very cheeky smile, but Let's be honest, what have they done with their lives so far? Made a smile, yeah, sure. Apart from that, all they've really done is make a mess for Dave and Maddie to have to clean up. Uh, they've certainly done nothing to compel Jesus to come and give his life as their ransom, have they? And yet that's just what Jesus does. It's not that Peter or Daisy or, or, or Dave and Maddie. Or any of us have done anything. But Jesus takes the initiative. Before we do anything, Jesus serves us. Uh, currently, uh, I'm watching a TV show called The Big Bang Theory. A lot of you would know this, I'm sure. Um, it's based around the lives of these four geeky guys. Um, they're enjoying playing some, I don't know, Halo or something there. Uh, one of the guys, though, one of the main characters is this guy. Sheldon Cooper is his name. Sheldon, Sheldon is probably the most eccentric of the four. Um, he, let me tell you a bit. About him. He loves things like order and neatness. He has a timetable for just about everything, including what he calls his bowel movements. He hates change. He struggles to understand sarcasm. And he despises gift-giving. It is a social convention for which he has no taste Because when someone gives you a gift, they put a burden on you, a debt that you have to repay. And it has to be the right gift that you repay them with too. Because if the gift is too good, well then they're in your debt and they've got to keep buying you gifts. But if the gift is not good enough, you're still in their debt and you've got to keep buying them gifts. And on and on the whole cycle goes. And the whole gift giving thing, he just, he hates it. I don't think his character could ever understand what Jesus has done. Because with Jesus, it's not like that. It can't be. He serves us. He gives his life as our ransom price. We could never pay that back. We're not obligated to to pay that back. But in doing this, we do see Jesus' heart for us, don't we? It, this gives us a glimpse of what Jesus is really like. And what do you see about Jesus? You see that he's for us. It's a total reversal of what we'd expect. We expect that we, being the humans and God being God, we expect that, that we need to do something for God before God will do anything for us, but the truth is a complete reversal. So the God of the Bible is so very different. Before we do anything for him, he first looks out for us. He's for us. He serves us. This is not some kind of quid pro quo arrangement where you do something for me, I'll do something for you. This is the heart of Jesus for you. That he would serve you. Perhaps you're here today and you don't think that you really have all that much to do with Jesus. That kind of life for you is on a separate path that, that, to Jesus. You, you, you're not anywhere with him and, and maybe you're okay with that. But what I hope you're beginning to see is that the Bible says Jesus is actually very much part of your life already. And that's not a bad thing. It's not that he's, he's come here to suck the fun out of life or to smite you with a great lightning bolt at the worst possible time. But in fact, Jesus, his heart for you is to serve you even before you've done anything for him. He's given you life and breath and everything. And even more, he's given his life to pay your ransom price. isn't Jesus worth getting to know a bit better? In fact, isn't he the kind of God that you could have in your life, that you could do life with? If today has raised questions for you, I I just want to say, please don't leave without doing something about it. Talk to the person you came with. Ask, Ask them, what's it like for you to do life with Jesus? Ask them why they're convinced that that's the way to go. Maybe today you came to see Peter and Daisy baptised and and great, but why not send Dave or Maddie a text in the week? See if you can grab them for a coffee and and have a chat. What's life like for them with Jesus? It might be hard for them to arrange a time because they've got kids and all, but I'm pretty sure I reckon that they'll move heaven and earth to find that space that they can have a chat with you. If you're not sure who to talk to, just use that bit of tear-off uh, that, that tear off slip that Stephen showed us before. Um, write your name, give us a number, we'd happily be in touch. But don't do nothing. Jesus is, Jesus is too good to do nothing about. Uh, now, I've been saying that God first serves us. In Jesus, we see that God first serves us before we do anything for him. And yet it is true that the Bible does call on people to serve God. You would have seen that in the Bible reading we read just before. There was heaps of different ways you could serve God. Uh, But I just want to reread the start of that passage again. It said this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's a call to serve. Uh, The writer is urging us to be living sacrifices, which is kind of odd, because if you know anything about sacrifices, they're generally dead. But the idea of a living sacrifice is that you give your whole life over to God, your whole self over to serving Him. But notice that there's a reason why we're called to serve in this way. Right at the very start, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. That's the second point today. I'm going to be brief here. But we serve God in view of his mercy to us. We don't serve God so that he will give us his mercy. And we don't serve God to pay him back for the mercy that he's shown to us. But we serve God simply as a delighted response to his mercy shown to us. Actually, when you think about it, what other response could you have? When God has done so much, giving us life and breath and everything, even in Jesus paying our ransom price for us, when God has done so much and when you grasp just how wonderful He is and what He's done, you can't help but want to serve Him and do things that are pleasing to Him, right? Right? Not because you owe him, not to twist his arm so he can do something for you in return, but simply because of his mercy to you. I was reading a book recently, uh, and and in the book, uh, the hero stumbles across an old guy who's in a wheelchair, and the wheelchair's gotten stuck in a ditch in the road, and some ratty teenagers have come across and are starting to beat up on the old guy. So, of course, the hero of the book steps in, picks up a couple of rocks off the ground, and pretty soon the teenagers hightail it out of there. But then the old guy, he doesn't just move along. He takes the hero back to his house, and his house is pretty shabby. There's not a whole lot there. He doesn't have very much. But he goes into his kitchen, and he finds his best bottle of whiskey, the the, the bottle that he'd been saving up for a special occasion, and and he he pours a glass to have with the hero of the book there. It's, It's an act not done out of obligation, but the very fact that there's breath in the old guy's lungs there is entirely down to the ear of the book. And he can't help but show his his gratitude and thanks. And he does it in the most extravagant way that he possibly can. That's what serving God is like. It's empowered by God's mercy. It's driven by God. It's an overflowing response to the mercy of God. Friends, are you feeling... Uh, That you're serving around here Around your homes, around your church That you're serving, that you're part of a ministry team But you're feeling dry And it's become a burden Have you lost sight Of the mercy of God Of God's heart for you If you have, get reacquainted Because it's the mercy of God that really drives us In our serving God In all of life even in our different ministry teams here at church. Or perhaps you're looking on and you've not really got Jesus in your life, but you're thinking, why would you bother with serving God at all? Again, my question is, have have you grasped the mercy of God? Why don't you check out a bit more about Jesus and the way he's shown us great mercy, the way he's served us. Don't do nothing. Talk to the person that's brought you. Fill out a slip. The heartbeat of serving is not so much what we have done for God, but what God has done for us. When we know the heart of God for us, that becomes then the fuel for our serving. Let me pray for us. Our loving God in heaven, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him, you have given us every good gift. Father, please open our eyes to see again and again what you've done for us in Jesus. Especially the joys of knowing he's paid our ransom price, that he's set us free and given us life. Thank you that when we look at Jesus, we can see what your heart for us really is like. That you, God, are for us. Help us to trust you then. Father, help us to be empowered in our own serving of you and of each other by knowing your mercy, by knowing the way that you've served us. Grow us deeper and deeper in knowing what you've done In enjoying that, we pray it would seep from our heads into our hearts. That our hearts would overflow in response to the mercy that you've shown us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.